Sammy, here's your phone. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Such a joy to be here. I love this community. I love this church. I only get to come once in a while. Um, and I, are, are my dear friends Andrew and Stephanie are visiting. They're, they're from New Jersey. <laughs> come on, stand up and just, say, just wave. <laughs> Stephanie was in Cyprus for during our school for a couple of years. Um, Tammy, have you met the pastors yet? She's she's from Cyprus. She's Cypriot. Crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so my Sarah, my wife sends her greetings to you. She wanted to come, but she was not feeling well, so she's home, uh, taking care of our four beautiful children. And my dad's visiting too from India, which is amazing. Um, yeah, first time in like 15 years or so. Uh, so it's a joy for me to be here. I, uh, I feel I have a word of encouragement for you this morning, and I want to dive right into it. Uh, just a few minutes before we, we started service, I was talking to Pastor Bill, and he shared this with me about your vision, the vision statement. And I said, can, you for can I take a picture? He said, no, I'll forward it to you. And I love it, to build a family of believers who are passionate about the presence of God. And the second part is to be and to be equipped and equipped to release the kingdom of God in all spheres of influence. It's amazing. The word I have for you is about the manifest presence of God. And, um, and if you're called to be a family of believers who are passionate about the presence of God, we have to find our channels, find our grid, find our lane, find the pathways in which we uniquely, in each person individually and corporately, begin to experience the manifest presence of God. In this pursuit is everything we need for our lives. It can sound too general, but it's not. In pursuing the presence of God is every strategy you can ever get. You can beat your head on the wall for 10 years looking for the blueprint. What is God? What is your, your strategic plan for us? What are the activities that we can do? I love the order of the vision statement. The presence of God and then being equipped. Because probably some of the equipping manual comes out of the presence of God. It's not equipped and then, hey, we better get some of the presence before we go out. It doesn't work that way. So I want to encourage this church and this community in what you are called to do. And I feel there's a great, beautiful alignment as you're sharing the vision statement. And the word I have for you is about the manifest presence of God. And I'm going to change the title. I've never done this before. I'm going to start with this title, The Manifest Presence of God. I'm going to change the title of the message towards the end. Keep you guessing. <laughs> thank you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord. You're, you're here. You're tangible. You're real. We can feel you. I, can, I feel him right now on my knees. <laughs> That's usually where I feel I feel. I feel the presence of God here. So we honor your presence. Holy Spirit, we honor your presence. We welcome you in all that you want to do among us. Thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. All of our team, when I told them I was coming here, they all, Charles and Ann, John, David, tell them we send our love to you from, from Life Center. Hallelujah. We'll take some back. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So the, the idea of the presence of God is not optional. I don't get churches that are not after the presence of God. What are you doing? You know, it's not optional. A way of life in Christian life, in the rhythm of life that God has given us, the rhythm that we have is weekly. We are sent out during the week and we regather on a Sunday morning. All throughout, you know, spir spiritual life, uh, you know, as people will follow, there's a rhythm of life with God. All the ascetic monks, the ancient uh, communities, they all had rhythms of life. There is a there is some the community in um, outside of England. There's an island called the Holy Island and where monks used to live. And there was a the now there's a causeway. There's a road you can drive up to the island. But before it was just an open you know causeway where the, the water, the the uh, the tide would go out. And that's when they would go return to the island. And they had the timetable. Even today they have a timetable. 
um, when the water would come back in and cover, it covers the road, the the it covers the causeway now. You can't drive back in if you miss your timetable. So there are kids who go to school and they have to come back at the right time now, you know. Um, so this was an island where monks used to live and seek the Lord, and they had a rhythm. When the water would go out, they would go and preach the gospel, and they would come back in to regather, and they would be in solitude when, they were, when, the, when the tide was up. And they lived in a rhythm. We have every community had a rhythm of going in and coming back out, going, going out and coming back in. We have a rhythm of life where we come back, we gather together because this is a rhythm of God for us to corporately experience the presence of God. And then we're sent out, we go back to our lives and our spheres of influence, right, being equipped to influence every sphere God has given us to steward. And we become, because of the rhythm, we're connected to what happens here corporately. Individually, now we carry the presence of God. This is your ultimate and your utmost assignment. Where you work, what you do is secondary. Thank you, Lord. I used to work for an investment banking firm before even I felt like the, the intensity of God's call in my life. I was just a believer, young. I was passionate for God. I love God. And I was young, tw just after college, amazing, amazing favor in, in, at, at my work. And I never preached to them. I never told them I was a Christian. I never had a, I didn't have a Bible or, you know, cool quotes on my table or anything like that. Not a screensaver was not thou shalt be saved or anything like that, you know. No one knew I was a believer, but in my language, what I knew, I would, you know, first it was in my department. They would have issues, and I would say, hey, this is what we should do. And it would be, whoa, that's amazing. And the word spread, and within the first year, I'm sitting with the partners of my, of my firm. These are three guys who earned $17 million twice a year just in bonuses. And I'm sitting at 22 years old, bottom of the rung at my work. But I'm sitting in his office, and he's opening his whole life. He's talking to me about marriage issues, infidelity. I'm like, ah, you shouldn't be telling me all these things. <laughs> and I just get to tell. I never talked about Jesus. I never, but I just began to. I didn't know I was counseling. I'm just common sense to me. I remember my my first thing. My my uh, in my in my department there was a interpersonal conflict, and I said I told I talked to my my supervisor. He was in charge of our whole department. I said, you, should, I, you shouldn't talk about behind their back. I know, it's t I know this is c there's contention. I know you have issues. Why don't you take them out to lunch? <laughs> He's like, what? Why would I do that? I said, you will change the atmosphere. You will change your circumstance. Just be kind to them. Take them out. And he did, and it changed. So that became a running thing. Take them out. Whenever things happen, hey, take them out to lunch. So the presence of God, we'll get there. The presence of God is our ultimate priority wherever we are at, wherever God has placed you, the sphere of influence. You are here corporately by design in the rhythm of life, and then you're sent out by design to carry this presence for you because you're going to come back in corporately to share testimonies, to fellowship with others who do the same thing. And from the beginning, the pattern and the way has been the centrality of that gathering focus on the presence of God. You know, when we think about the Old Testament, what do, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The law. Dun, 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 dun. The laws of God, which was, you know, hundreds of laws that they could not keep. They could not fulfill the commandments, the requirements for righteousness. And all was, you know, moral laws and, and social laws, things for, that would help them, that would, that would shape their way of life. And they lived and they were identified by the things that they did or didn't do. But that was not the focus of the Old Testament. That was not the focus of the call of God on a whole nation. You know what the focus was? If you look at a map of the camp of Israel, whether they were journeying or when they had built the temple, in the center of who they were as a nation or as a people group on their journey, in the center of everything that they did was this Ark of the Covenant of God. In the center of all of their, got to do this law, got to keep this law, got to, can't do that, can't do this, can't do this. God's desire was that all of them would train them towards the center of camp. And the center part, center 
peace of their camp was the presence, the manifest presence of God. Let me say this. The presence of God in its identity has to be manifest. It's not an ideology. It's not an idea. Oh, I love the presence of God. The presence of God in its very nature has to be manifest, meaning revealed. I was so distracted during worship in a good way because of the presence of God. Tammy and I turned when he said, greet one another. We turned to each other. We're still singing the exact line. <laughs> Literally the same line of the last song. We turned to each other. We're singing it. The manifest, the presence of God has to be manifest. And we have to have this confidence that I'm engaging with the manifestation of his presence in my life. Thank you, Lord. The presence was central to all the instruction for life. And we have to consider this to be followers of Yeshua who fulfilled the requirements of the law so that here's what we have access to. Because he fulfilled all of the requirements, we get to freely pursue the centrality of the presence of God. He required all the fulfillment of the law. All, he established it in himself. And he says, now through him, we boldly come into the throne of grace. Ooh, I feel, I feel it right now. I feel him right now. The first covenant is not, okay, that was then. Jesus came, made something better for us. We can just go to church and do whatever. No, we're in the same we're part of the same storyline. We're part of the same history of God on the earth to call a people that will be uniquely identified and set apart from other nations and other people because of the presence of God. Come on. Don't be distracted by sounds. There's always things to see and things to hear when God shows up. Acts chapter 2, they heard a loud noise in the upper room. Thank you, Lord. I don't make a lot of sounds like that, but I, I feel stuff in my body. I'm like, what? You see, the presence of God, the manifest presence of God changes everything. It changes everything. It has the power to change the course of history only because you're carrying it. You have to consider yourself part of the Old Testament story, the, the storyline that was being written because it was very powerful, very vivid in the, in the picture in the Old Testament stories. Right? The Ark of the Covenant, which was the manifest presence of God, at one point was, was captured by the Philistines, captured by, 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 by the Philistines, and a whole bunch of stuff happened there. They began to get, you know, plagues and different things happening to them. And David decided we need to bring the Ark back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And we know the story, what happened. They tried to bring it back the first time, and, and it was, you know, about the ark, the, the cart, which the ark was almost about to fall over. And one of the priests tried to help it and push it back, and he died. Ah! I don't have theology for that. I'll let you struggle with that one. And they set the ark for 20 years because they were afraid to bring it back to Israel. And then later, it was inspired in David's heart to go and get it again. And then he set it in the house of Obed-Edom, just outside Jerusalem, for three months. And Obed-Edom was a Philistine. 
They said, we don't know what to do with this ark. We want it, but it's been killing everybody. <laughs> Even the priests. But we still want it. We don't want to kill any of our people, so let's put it in a Philistine's house. <laughs> if something should happen, let it happen to them, Lord. But what happened in Obed-Edom's house is it began, they began to experience the blessing of God that came with the manifest presence of God. What was different about Obed-Edom that the other people missed? I don't know. You get to think about it. Homework. Maybe he put it in his room and said, guys, to his wife. And his wife is like, why? Why? We're going to die. What are you doing? And he's telling his children, whatever you do, kids, don't open that door, okay? <laughs> but the next morning he woke up and there's like new flowers growing outside his house. Fruit from a tree that didn't have fruit before. Everything began to change just because they were hosting the presence of God. The whole community began to be fruitful because of the presence of God. Now, we all know the story about Obed-Edom, that he hosted the presence of God, and he was blessed. His household and his community was blessed because of the, because of the visitation of the, of the presence of God. Here's the unknown part of Obed-Edom's story. When David came to take the ark from his, after three months, to take the ark from his house back to Jerusalem, the untold story about, unknown story about Obed-Edom is that Obed-Edom and his whole household moved and went with the ark to Jerusalem. Come on. It changes everything. It changes your livelihood. It changes your history. It changes what you have been giving your life for for so many years. It changes everything. Your priority begins to change. You shouldn't have to call people for a prayer meeting because you know the manifest presence of God transforms your life. We had, I, 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 taught, I, I was speaking in Mexico years ago, and I, taught, I was encouraging a word, a prophetic word to them about the high places, and they decided to go, and I did, what I didn't know is that in, this is Saltillo, Mexico, an hour from Monterey. What I didn't know is that this city, Saltillo, was birthed at the highest point of that city on a mountaintop. And it says there, birthplace of Saltillo, on, on the highest point. And I didn't know that when I was prophesying to them. So they felt to start doing early more. I, and I told them, you need to go to the high place. There's, some, there's an anointing of high places here. And so when I came back the following year, my schedule there was a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. <laughs> that I, was, I was like, Jesus, <laughs> help me. And we had ne meetings all the day before, all the way through like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And then they were going to pick me up at 4 or the 5 a.m. They took me to church because we were gathering at the church first. And then all of us were driving to this high point to pray. You know how many people showed up? 600 people showed up in the morning for a prayer meeting. 5 o'clock in the morning. We were late. We weren't late, but when we got there, there was a crowd of people because the pastor had the key to the gate of the church. When the presence of God is manifest, you don't need to, to send email blasts or, you know, you just need to begin to gather. Thank you, Lord. And Obed-Edom... This Gittite, this Philistine, now his story continues. He became one of the gatekeepers of the tabernacle. Come on. And his sons became gatekeepers of the storehouses of Jerusalem. You see, when you pursue the presence of God, everything. I don't know what he did for a living before. But it wasn't, it was meaningless when they began to encounter the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We move into greater purpose and greater destiny when we pursue the presence of God in our lives. Both corporately and personally. If you turn to Genesis 28, there's a story of Jacob. And he was, there's a time when he was running from his brother. And he came to Genesis 28, 11 onwards. And he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his, at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. We know the story. I don't know why they do it this way. But for some reason, the stone was important as a pillow. That's maybe what they did. 
And we know the story. He laid down to sleep with a stone under his head as a pillow. And at night, while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees this ladder and angels ascending and descending. And then God begins to speak his promises that are generations old. The things that he promised Abraham and Isaac is now coming to him in this dream encounter. And he speaks to him and he wakes up from this dream encounter. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He's with us more than we know or encounter. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he meant in the Greek, it means I will never, I will never leave you. Okay. It's okay. That's what it means in the Greek. He will never leave you. When is, when's the last time? Can you remember the last time you felt, oh, man, I just feel so distant from the Lord. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what part of our life can be greater than the sacrifice of Jesus hanging on the word crucified to set me free. What, what part of your life is greater than that? Because it is this that releases the promise, he will never leave us or forsake us. Actually, it was a promise to Israel. Now it becomes an even greater promise for us through the cross. If he will never leave us or forsake us, leaving us is one thing, forsaking us is a whole nother circumstance. He says it because there are circumstances where you will feel God has totally forsaken you. In the worst of our own struggles and fights and things that we deal with, he is real about it. He says, you will go through those things, but I will be there with you. I will be with you in trouble, Psalm 91, and I will deliver you. But we have to see him with us in the midst of our greatest angst. I will never leave you, that's great, or forsake you. You know why? Because Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? He went past that point and stole and redeemed the key of life, the keys of death. The keys of sin, the keys of the grave. He redeemed it all together and came back so that we have confidence he will now never leave us or forsake us. Some of the poets got a glimpse of this. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. He didn't even know what he was prophesying about what is to come because Jesus was going to show up in hell and redeem Call those that made their bed and come on, it's time. In him, we have provision to go through circumstances where all of life has forsaken you. You have lost all grid. I'm talking about believers. All grid of sanity even. He says, I won't forsake you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We started, there's this, cu this couple in our church that wanted to meet with. We've known them for quite a few years, 20 years almost, 15 years. And they've gone through, I think, the single worst marriage issue that we have ever seen or heard of. Sarah and I, we, and we've counseled, we've discipled, we've, but we're not trained in counseling. We haven't gone through, you know, counseling school. We're sitting with them. We did 24 weeks of counseling with them. We didn't pray for them one time. We didn't lay hands on them one time. But every single, I mean, as they were sharing, it's mainly they're sharing the whole night in our living room. We don't counsel people in our living room, but we felt this is the right thing to do because we weren't engaging in prayer ministry. That's what we felt. We just listened to them, listened to their story, and every night we're like, what are we doing here? I don't have an answer for this. But the first night, at the end, God broke through. 
Second, second week we met, God broke through again. They were just sharing. It just got worse and worse as they were sharing. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? How can you get yourself into so much trouble? But every single night he began to break through. You know what it was? It was his presence. And they would tell us by third and fourth week, we look forward. We know we're going through hell during our week, but we know we're coming to your house. Not even about our counseling. They know we're c- they're coming. It's going to be sal- like c- salvation for them. And it's not anything. We're sitting there thinking, what are we doing? We're way in above our heads. But the presence of God is so real and so tangible, you don't even need to pray for people. I'm not saying that as a pat out, you know. <laughs> Chandi said you don't need to pray for people anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. This was Jacob's response after having a dream. We've changed our language, my wife and I. It's not dreams anymore. It's always dream encounters. If I have a dream, God is encountering my life. If he speaks a dream and a vision for my life in a dream, he has encountered me to begin to handle that dream that he has given me. I have had a dream encounter. Surely God was in this place, and I did not know it. And it goes on. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. When is the last time we've had any kind of encounter that you came out of, whether it's in church or at home or you're listening to music or you had a dream and you said, this is the gate of heaven. That's what's on offer for us. I will never leave you or forsake you. We're called to live in a continual encounter of the presence of God. And we become gateways of heaven because you are a walking encounter. You become that gateway. Surely this is the gate of heaven. And here's the account. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. You know, when you encounter God in your personal life, the things that were mundane, the things that were ordinary the night before your encounter, all of a sudden, those normal, natural life things as, 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 as non-living, as, as inanimate as a stone becomes an altar of your encounter with God. Not only for you, but for everyone else to witness that Chandi had an encounter right here. That the whites had an encounter here. That your family, put your name in it. You have had an encounter here. What are the areas, what are the stones, the inanimate things in your life that God is waiting for you to turn it into an altar? Whether Maybe it's your, I'm serious, practice, your desk. At your, I think back to my, to my, you know, when I worked for the firm. What are those moments that became an altar for me? I remember the partners coming to my desk and saying, Chandi, can you meet me in my office today? I should have charged them (laughs) for my time. He set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel because previously it was called Luz. And all the people of Luz are known as losers. (laughs) Such a Pentecostal joke. Not even funny. But here's the thing. There's, there's something that's missing here. It seems spiritually great. That's all. It's great. That's awesome. But how does one man's encounter in the middle of nowhere with only a stone as his pillow begin to change the very identity of a whole city? Come on. There was no hotel or house or anything, so he put a stone under his head, but he encountered God with, in that, uh, that night. He got up, and he said, surely God is in this place. This is the gate of heaven, none other than the, the house of God. Somewhere there was, a tra- there was a spiritual transaction that he had the confidence that his personal encounter had the power to change the name and identity of that whole city. 
If you don't have that kind of audacious faith and vision, quit it. Go somewhere else. Do something else. Don't come to New York City. <sighs> and your move back to, back to the cities, strategic. Because in verse 15, I'm going to read this over you, Bill and Tammy. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Geography is so important to God in what he calls us to do. This is the right thing at the right time. For four, You said you were, we're moving, we're going to another level, going to a new I forget what, how, you, how you worded that. What did you say? We're going, new season. And his promise is, I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. Thank you, Lord. Geography is important. That's why a whole city gets transformed because of one man's encounter. Thank you, Lord. You have to have this confidence because I encounter, we're encountering him here. This city is under the blessing of God. It can affect the economy of a whole nation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the gate, there's another dream, an encounter and vision where Angel Gabriel came to Zacharias to announce now the new covenant. And he appears to him and he says amazing things. Zacharias, your son will be a forerunner and all these things. And after him will come the, you know, he, he says the, the, the plan Master plan to Zacharias. And Zacharias responds to angel Gabriel saying, okay, that sounds amazing, but what is your credibility? How am I supposed to believe that all these things are about going to happen like you say it's going to happen? You know what Gabriel's response is? The angel. When he says, how, how, well, how, can, how can these words be credible? How do I know this is going to happen? You know what Gabriel said? I am the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. That was his answer. That's all. Come on, just search out your hand right now. This is all we need. This is all we need. You're a life center, New York City who stands in the presence of God, who encounters the presence of God, who hosts the presence of God. In this is all of your strategy. In this is all that God has, all the message, all the plan, all the future, redemption, salvation, everything is in this. It's not ethereal. It is the most important thing. In this is everything. I'm, I stand in the presence of God. This is all you need to know. This is all we need to know. This should be our greatest confidence. And I want to speak on a local level to your church. If you have had anything, I can say this freely. If I don't know what circumstance situations. If you have had in your heart anything against your pastors, you need to quickly repent. Don't harbor something in your heart because you feel you should do something. I don't know if there is. Don't allow as a community to, to be robbed of what you're called to. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God spoke to Moses. Gave him the plan of taking the nation into the promised land. He had seen miracles. He had seen the parting of the Red Sea. He had seen some of the most greatest wonders of God performed through his own hands for a whole nation. But then when he encounters God again and God says, now, Moses, this is a plan. That will be enough for us. Amazing history. Now I'm encountering God. God is telling me. The, literally, I'm hearing audibly God telling me what to do. I mean, I'll be set for life. 
But you know what Moses' response is? God, all of this is good, but if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me out from either. From the very beginning, this is a secret. This is a secret. Yeshua said, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm leaving, but go and wait in the upper room. This has always been the secret of God. That history hinges on those that will encounter him. That who will value, who will prioritize the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. Exodus 33, 10 and 11, Moses would meet with God face to face. And God would speak to him. And then as a leader, he would return to camp because he had responsibilities. But Joshua, in, in 33.11, the servant of Moses, son of Nun, remained in the tent. You see, when you encounter the Lord, not even Moses or being an apprentice. Who would like to be an apprentice to Moses? Man, I won't leave his side. I'll be a shadow. But when you encounter the Lord, Moses went out of the tent, but Joshua encountered something greater. And it says Joshua remained in the tent. And it was this Joshua that led the people into the promised land. Come on. Come on. You got it. The presence of God has power for our destiny, for what he has called us to. Moses had the blueprint. Joshua remained in the tent. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we love your presence. We love your presence. We love your presence. And it's both corporate and personal. It has to be. It has to be both corporate and personal. Because he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. To build a family of, light, family of believers who are passionate about the presence of God. What an amazing mission statement for Life Center New York City. To build a family of believers who are passionate about the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We were, so many stories, we were one time in missions, on a mission trip on, in Ethiopia, and we we're on top of this mountain, and we were going to, you know, we, we go up, and we were going to, in, in Addis Ababa, and we were going to pray over the city, prophesy, worship, and, you know, just bless Addis, because we could see the city from there. But there's one time we got up there and eucalyptus trees had gone, grown so high because it was a very rainy season. Eucalyptus grows really fast and it covered our whole vantage. But we couldn't see the city. It had just completely overtaken this place. And, um, and we, we stood there and the, our team, I had like built it up. You know, it's amazing. You can see the city and we can bless it. And we've been there so many years. And we stood there. I said, we're here. Let's just worship and pray. You know, so we're there. We had guitar, djembe, flute, and we're just worshiping. And while we're worshiping, a priest, an Orthodox, he was an Orthodox priest in the city. But 10 years ago, he, he, he felt something. He was missing something. He wanted to find God in a personal way. So 10 years ago, he left the city and came up to this mountaintop. He has a little hut we could see from where we're standing. He's been there for 10 years and he's to seek God and to find God in a personal way. We didn't know anything about him. He had this garb and a hat and a cross and everything. We saw him making his way through the trees towards us. And he stood, you know, at a distance, and we, were, we finished worship, and w one of our team members went over there, and we started talking to him with the translator. And we said, can we just bring you in? Can we just speak a blessing over you? We just told him generally we love God, young people. He said, okay. He came. We prayed for him, and he just like, no response, no activity. But I knew this was a divine encounter. But there's no sign of anything. So we prayed for him. You know, all of us prophesied and everything. No response at all. So at the end, I said, 
you know, can, can we, do you live nearby? He said, yeah, that's my hut right there. I said, can we come to your house and just bless your house? He said, okay, so me and him and our translator walked up to this, to his hut. And we went into his hut, small hut, maybe this size right here. There's a cot on the floor, just mattress, and then pots and pans on the floor, you know, and, and it's dark. There's no lights in there. We walked in, and he says, for 10 years I've been here seeking God. And I said, I was just having a conversation, and I just, I said, God has seen you every night that you have been in this room. He, he was on the other side. He leapt over the, the, the mattress, fell on my chest, just began to bawl and weep and cry. In a moment, God gave meaning to 10 years of trying to find God. And I don't know how it worked, but he gave his life to the Lord. We brought him back to our team, and we were all rejoicing in this testimony. We asked him, brother, what's your name? And he said, Brahani. Are there any Ethiopians here? Geta Yibarakachi. Amen. Took me a second there to, to switch. So what does the mean, name Brahannu mean? The light. And he got saved. He, he gave his life to the Lord in a moment. While this was happening, we heard the sound of walkie-talkies. <laughs> and we looked over. From the other side, there's a policeman walking towards us. And I'm like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be here. We always come here when we're in Ethiopia. And he came towards us, you know, his uniform. He came towards us slowly, and one of our team met him, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and he said, I heard, I heard the, the, the priest told us the same thing. I heard the sound of guitar and song, so I wanted to see what's happening. The policeman said the same thing. I heard the sound of guitar and, and music, so I wanted to come. And then we sh told him who we are and everything like that. And um, we started sharing the Lord with him. And he said, I, have, I was born into a Pentecostal family. But as a young teenager, 11, 12 years old, I ran away from home. I wanted nothing to do with God. I've been living away from my family and living away from God all of these years. He's probably in his 40s. And he said, my parents, I know my parents and my siblings and family, they're still praying for me. And in our conversation with him, he gives, he rededicates his life to the Lord. From 12 years old till 40-some years old, he'd walked away from God. But in a moment, he gives his life back because something attracted him. He gives his life back to the Lord. We're rejoicing. We bring him back to the team, and the priest is standing right there. We ask him, so what's your name? Brahanu. We are just a ragtag bunch of young people with a guitar and a flute, and we're trying to keep everything in tune, and we can't even see the city, and you know we're trying to sing and worship, but the presence of God never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's always at work. He's orchestrating so many things. Think about this. Ten years ago, God put it on this Orthodox priest's heart to go up the mountain. And after ten years, there's going to be a team that comes here. They're going to be carrying the presence of God. And when you encounter them in a moment, you're going to find them. The policeman, 30 years ago almost, he walked away from the Lord, but the strategy and the plan of God was always at work. It's okay. I'm going to preserve your life because 30 years from now, there's going to be a small team that will come up this mountain. You will come encounter them, and you will be transformed. You'll give your life. God is always at work. His plans never fail. Never fails. Love never fails. That's how Saul, the first king of Israel, that the people murmured and asked for, Samuel came and said, Saul, he anointed him and says, go up this mountain. And when you go up the mountain, you will encounter, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down the mountain, singing and prophesying and playing on their instruments. And when you come in contact with this group of prophets, you will be transformed into a new man. The assignment of the first, the, the affirmation, the establishment of the first king of Israel was a group of nameless group of prophets coming down the mountain, prophesying and singing. They had the power to set the first king of Israel in his rightful place. And he's calling before the king of kings, Melech Haolam, the king of the whole world. Before he returns, he's looking for prophets and singers and musicians who cultivate the presence of God in their gathering, in their personal lives. 
fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, that we're not caught up with, with, with uh, doctrine and we're not stumbling over things like that. God, I want to give it all. All of me. All of me. And as a people here, Life Center, New York City, this is what you're called to. This is what you're called to, both corporately and personally in your life. And we can, we can blow this out of proportion. I want to speak to this. It can, you know, we can get distracted by supernatural ministry. There are so many schools of supernatural ministry. I love it. I want, more, I want to see more schools of supernatural ministry. But don't discount yourself because you're not activated in a supernatural, visibly supernatural ministry of signs and wonders and healings. Here's what it says in Romans 12 from the, from the message. Love from the center of who you are. You want to, Maria told you I'm going to change the title of this message. From the manifest presence, it's just an edit. It's cultivating the manifest presence. Where you're not only looking for a corporate encounter where he comes sovereignly to us, but you're living a life in truth, in simplicity, in integrity. Daily, you know, you're cultivating his presence. One smile at a time. One word of kindness at a time. One act of kindness at a time. Look for opportunities. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. Don't curse under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. This is your Bible. Just another version. <laughs> Make friends with nobodies. Don't be a great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. I was walking around the city, around my block last night here. And I was being ministered to by the beauty of the people of the city. Don't be numb and callous and create your own theology of spirituality. Unless you see the beauty of God in every single person, there's so much room for us to encounter God in our hearts. I text my wife, and I, I told her, I'm enjoying the beauty of God in the city. I didn't explain it to her, but it was the, uh, every person I was walking by. I was just going to get tacos around the corner. <laughs> luchador, luchador, tacos. <laughs> and I was looking at people. They think I'm straight. They're just try not to be awkward, you know. <laughs> it was packed outside. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. This is what happened to me. I didn't even know it until Eugene Peterson wrote the message. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. That in First John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was now manifest to you. The presence of God through our daily life is meant to be manifest. I went to Starbucks this morning. I saw a guy walking, literally, I, with two bags. I'm like, what, it's, what time is it? And I ran to get to the door, and he was so shocked. Manifest his presence. I don't have to say anything. I did this because I love you. No, nothing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was in Bethesda, Maryland last week. And stopping to get another coffee on the way, driving far. And I parked, and I did a total Cypriot parking job. 
you don't park this way, you park this way. I had taken literally, <laughs> I'm actually good at parking, but I had taken up three spaces. And there were cars on either side, so I was crossing this line and this line. Because I, I was in a hurry, I was like, oh, I don't want to back up and, you know. I ran to, the, to, to Starbucks, and I knew that was the busiest shop in that whole strip mall area. And I ordered my coffee, and I'm waiting at the door in case, because they can't get into their car on one side. In case somebody comes, I can go help them. I know, you're shocked. You're going to hate me from now on. You are the person. <laughs> if you see a car like that, you're going to think, oh, Chandi's in town again. <laughs> but I waited at the door while my order was being made, and then I saw this couple walk out from right in front of me at Starbucks, and they walked to that car. And I was like, maybe they can get in. I'll see. She looks around. They're talking to each other, you know, and she opens the door, puts her purse in, tries to get in. She can't get in. So I, like, quickly run out to them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I'm in a hurry. I was getting coffee. My, yeah, I'll move the car. She said, don't, you're so kind to do that. I said, I was waiting by the door to see who would come, and it impacted her. I said, you're so, you did that? You were waiting to see? You did, that's so kind of you. And I was happy. I was, I was thinking, you're so kind not to <laughs> cuss me out right now. <laughs> in everything, in everything we do, we have the opportunity to continually. What if all of us begin to be kind in this city? Kindness never takes a break. Never, 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 never. You want the manifest presence of God cultivated in your life? Practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it every single day. In this city, you have more opportunity than any other city in the world. I'm jealous of you guys. You should just park your car crooked just to <laughs> practice it. Thank you, but come on, stand to your feet. Don't miss the visitations for people because you're carriers of that presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we want it in such a real way in our lives, both corporately and personally. We don't, we don't want to get lost in the supernatural things that you may or may not participate in, but that's part of it. That's part of it. Kindness upon kindness upon kindness that upon kindness that never takes a break, and all of a sudden somebody gets healed. It's not just a gifting that you tap into. It's a lifestyle that you walk out that begins to increase the presence of God in your life. And any challenge, no matter what challenge comes your way, you have been practicing for three years to get to that point. David's assignment against Goliath was not that day. He was sitting under a tree for years as a young boy, singing and magnifying God inside of his heart and in his mind. And that reality, that practice became so real that a giant didn't compare it to the magnitude of God in his own mind. So when he heard the challenge against God, he looked at Goliath and he says, you are so small compared to what has been my practice for the last 10 years. I challenge you. In the name of God, you uncircumcised. You know, this is, this is the practice of the presence of God daily until those assignments come and you don't have fear to pray for healing. You don't have fear to pray for miracles and signs and wonders to manifest because you have been a contagious container all along. You've been sowing seeds in the city all these years and all these days and there are moments that will come to bring the increase.